Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, discuss film from the unpretentious perspective. In light of the controversial release of Christopher Nolan's Tenant, today's topic is the film that put him on the map, Memento. Please be advised that spoilers are ahead. everybody you have sweet tea here what's up everybody so we are looking at not christopher nolan's first feature but the first one that really was a big deal right it, it, i read it was his sophomore i think right yeah pretty much like his first one was not it was like an hour long it was called following so this was the one that kind of put him on the map and then this one got him to do the remake of insomnia with robin williams so and then that got him the job for batman and he's you know well, and new also, york rise ever since but this well, came out in 2000 in um, true form to uh, you know the people's breakout hit this was also, I, I read, produced very cheaply as well. Yes. Only a $9 million budget, and it grossed $25 million in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and $39 million worldwide. Fun fact, I don't know if you know this, but Emma Thomas, I believe is her name, is his wife. Okay. She has always been his producer since they were, like, dating in college. Every single movie That's, he's ever produced. That is she, actually like, the two adorable. Of them, they, the two of them founded Sing Copy, which is his production company. But this was, like, their first big hit. Pretty weak opening, though, only 200000 but it's... It grew, though, right? It's, oh, it was yeah. a sleeper oh, yeah. hit. Well, uh, grossing $39 million, I think it was probably a word-of-mouth thing, too, because for anyone who hasn't seen Memento, kind of... You, I guess you could say it's a spoiler, but not really, because I feel like it's the first thing anyone tells you about the movie is that it's backwards. Yeah, that's not really so the end, So the ending is the beginning, and the beginning is the ending, and that sounds really complicated, but it's not literally like the whole thing's played in reverse. It's like each scene happens in reverse order. Yeah. And the reason they did that was because of the main character's memory problems. So the idea is like putting you into his shoes because he can never remember what just happened. Mm-hmm. And so neither can you. Yeah. So you're kind of, and the only difference is that you have the benefit of remembering what just happened in the future. Right, right. So you're kind of discovering he's he's trying to solve the mystery of who killed his wife but the mystery that's really kind of being unraveled is more about him you know i think you you phrase that way it's very kind of in the vein of citizen kane where we kind of know we know sort of from the beginning citizen Kane. you know what rosebud is they show his freaking sleigh the beginning of the movie so you kind of know how it's going to end sort of and then in this movie as well you know that it's going to end with the death of wool and with the death of teddy well, and it's just kind of how we got to that point. Sort of. I mean, like, the, the commonality is that it is non-linear in quotation marks, and I'm putting that in quotation marks because of something Christopher Nolan would later say about the movie in an interview. But I don't know, do you know that it's actually based on a short story? Yes, I think his brother wrote it. Yeah, so the short story is called Memento Mori. If you're not familiar with the Latin phrase, it means remember that you must die. Very it sounds really, like, macabre, but really all that means is, like, just remember your mortality. I kind of take it in the meaning with this movie is, like, remember your faults. Because okay. that's yeah. the thing with him is he, well, also, he really shouldn't be investigating anything because he's kind of a mess. Like you know, Well, and also can't. I read in the original, I didn't read the story, but I read, they were talking about it. He is basically, in the story, an escaped mental patient. And they do kind of, I believe, briefly... So I have read I have read the okay. short story. 
Is that wrong? Was I totally wrong? No. So the way it works is that the story and the movie were being written at the same time. Christopher Nolan actually, so his background, he did not study film. He studied literature. He, he studied, looks like he studied literature. He studied English literature at the University of College London, or UCL for short. And while he was there, he just shot like 16 millimeter movies for fun. And, you know, that would turn out to be his profession as it turns out but that's so that's kind of i guess kind of like where he comes from is as an artist and i actually like directors that didn't study film because they have kind of an interesting perspective on filmmaking they don't think of it the same way someone like steven spielberg would who went to like usc and went into filmmaking as like a business and you know like he he sees it more like obviously it is a business actually, I- so I thought Steven Spielberg didn't finish college or didn't go to college. No, he's, he's, he's an alumni. But, like, like he, he submitted Schindler's List as his final project. I thought that was the... Wait, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, but, but that's then, the thing. The like, things so, I don't know about, about film will shock you, but... So the thing is, like, USC in that time frame, Spielberg, Lucas, and a bunch of other people, like, they were all in this class together. And they were kind of, like, they all became sort of, like, this new wave of, like filmmakers from Los Angeles who were, and they were like the first people to even like go to school for filmmaking. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of like this new thing, like, oh, you can learn filmmaking in college, you know, like that's like, and that's the thing they learned in Los Angeles. So they learned in Hollywood. And so they come from that model of it being a business. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of interesting when there are filmmakers like David Lynch is another one who said he was a painter. He studied visual arts. So he, again, he doesn't really think of film the same way as someone who went to film school. Mm -hmm. And then you also have like people like Jim Jarmusch who studied poetry, you know? So his, (laughs) so like, I, I've always liked filmmakers like that because their movies don't, subscribe to the same kind of school of thoughts you do they, they don't write screenplays the way that you know like oh it has to have three acts and it has to be this way and all this other stuff i would say nolan probably because he studied english literature he, he does have story a... structure is still pretty well, yeah, kind of rigid be... with him but i it's interesting that he didn't he, he studied writing more than well, anything. and what's interesting is when well, you bring that up is that because i've read that actually this whole time diversion or time basically the whole time mixing up sort of thing is you know a common trope with him you know we haven't i think it, he did an inception and then now it looks like he'll be doing that again with his upcoming movie tenant um, possibly possibly Tenet, we, Tenet we is, don't know it hasn't come out yet but well, at the time of this recording i mean maybe the thing about inception is it takes place in a dream mm-hmm. so time's already distorted so the short story i'm actually didn't look this up, but I'm pretty sure his brother Jonathan also studied literature, but he's a writer. Mm-hmm. He's not a filmmaker. So he was writing the short story and he told Chris about it. He was like, whoa, that's a cool idea. Can I make a movie on that? Mm-hmm. And so the movie came out, like they wrote it at the same time. So right. like, it's not like, even though it's based on a short story, it's like both of them were being written concurrently with each other. But so the way the story is, is it's divided up into letters First off, the character is not named Lenny. His name's Earl. (laughs) Okay, Lenny's a better name. (laughs) So they both have a dead wife. So Earl's diagnosed with CRS, which is a real ailment of the mind. And in the short story, he calls it backwards amnesia. That's the thing. I think that maybe Chris read that and thought backwards. Yes. I've got an idea. All right, yeah, let's do that. But so the story is very similar, but it does not take place backwards. The whole thing, it's linear. But it's broken up into letters Earl wrote to himself Mm -hmm. and then like a scene. So it starts off with this long letter and then it's him in a hospital. 
and it's all about him just brushing his teeth. And he's, yeah. like, reading all these notes he left for well, himself, like, just to get ready. And then there's a lit cigarette in the bathroom, so he has already tried, he's already gotten up and brushed his teeth and laid back down, and he forgot that he did all yeah. that. Then there's another letter, like, the scene is, like, him getting a tattoo. Uh, well, I mean, and that's but, kind of similar in the way, like, even, though, even though he said that Christopher Nolan tells the story backwards, the way that it's broken up, though, between the black and white portion and then the color portion, you can kind of look at the same way, the letters and then what's actually happening. Plus, they both have that kind of, because this is a neo-noir. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what film noir is, it's basically those old black and white detective movies. Where they have vertical uh, blinds everywhere. So neo-noir is a modern take on that. So it's still a mystery. It's still a detective story. But there's usually some sort of like modern twist to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's essentially, even though Leonard in the movie is not literally a detective, he is investigating something. Right. And there is a mystery. But so the ending in the short story is essentially, so after one of the letters Earl he's sitting in a car and he's looking out the window and there's a man who's dead and there's a crowd gathering and he's smiling and so he's like oh this I think I got my revenge you know Mm -hmm. and so he doesn't know if he's in the back of a police car or a cab and he's shuffling through his clothes and stuff looking for a pen because he's trying to write down that he got him Mm -hmm. oh and he can't find a pen yeah and whoever the driver is is not listening to him either he doesn't speak english or it's a police officer or whatever but as he's frantically searching for the pen he forgets Mm -hmm. and so now they they carry that scene over i mean it's in a different context yes that scene is carried over in the movie yes although i wasn't Um, dude seriously this is your life this is your life you don't carry a pen with you and that's <laughs> that's at least with the short story how I interpret the title and everything. It's like, and they they touch on this in the movie too, but it really is that whole question of if you got your revenge, you wouldn't remember it, and even if you left a note for yourself, you wouldn't ever have, have like that, the satisfaction. Yeah, that that satisfaction well, of like it wouldn't feel the same if you had like a note that said you got him. Also, the other it's difference not as in the short as remembering, yes, I stabbed him repeatedly and yeah, choked and the air out of him. And the other difference in the short story is that the last thing Earl remembers is the guy's face. He actually has more to go off of than Lenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he actually has the guy's face tattooed on him in the okay. short story. But other than that, that's pretty much all. The short story is only like 12 pages long. It's really good. And I found out it actually, if you have the DVD, it's on there. So you can do some reading on your TV. <laughs> <laughs> I was a weird bonus. But I mean, hey, if you don't have any other way of getting it, uh, I already have like a printed also, copy of it. Also, they shut after you watch the movie, you can watch the movie so in order. I checked to see if I had this DVD, and I do. I didn't bother. So anyone who seeks out the DVD or rents it, and maybe it's still on the Blu-ray, but so there's a fun Easter egg. As I said, the film's backwards, but if you go to, at least on my DVD, there's the final section you could go to is Memento spelled backwards. If you click on it, It'll flash a bunch of words, a newspaper will come up, and it's like a newspaper about the story. And those words that flashed, you have to click on them out of, like, everything on the paper. And if you remember them and are able to click the correct ones, you can watch the movie in order. Wow. That is involved. That's way too I actually, hard I actually like that. It's very cool. Um, but I'm pretty sure if you, you really don't what, want to do the work, you can find, like, a cut. On, you could probably, someone's uploaded Well, I know, internet. well, like, how I watched it, because it is owned by FilmRise, which is, you know, they're a very low-budget sort of company, but they put out a lot of their stuff for free. So the entire movie in its HD format 
Filmwise is uploaded for free on YouTube. Okay, that's good, because I saw that and I didn't realize that, didn't well, make the connection, because it does say Filmrise, but it, this well, is funny, in that YouTube video you're talking about, I love on the comments section, there's someone who's like, first rule, film club, don't snitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I'm glad, well, that I, I'm glad that we can snitch all we want, I guess, because it's the company that owns it. And also, it, film, well, I just know that, I just only know that because Filmrise put the entire classic Unsolved Mysteries on there also, because they acquired that as well. Well, yeah, so just like a couple last things before we get into it, uh, to the actual movie and what you thought and everything. So I watched an interview with Chris Nolan because I honestly, I don't even think I'd ever really heard his opinion on the movie or like where he was coming from or whatever. But so things that he, he likes in movies that apply to the movie are the unreliable narrator and memory and also not knowing the backstory and stuff. But like what he said in this interview is that like, especially with the unreliable narrator, he's never really seen a movie where it's done in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. It's always like the person's a criminal or they're like insane or something. And he also said he does not like amnesia as a as a story element and the reason why is because you can make up whatever you want for the backstory uh, you know it's like oh it turns out i was an assassin for you like he always thinks that like it's a lazy way of kind of writing yourself out of a corner so the thing he liked about his brother's story was that it's reverse amnesia you remember everything about your backstory you just can't remember anything after that yeah so we know who leonard is we just don't know who he is now and that's kind of the interesting thing about the movie and that's what chris like the story is like about how you change over time and so that was the thing that really interested him about the movie he also wanted audiences to question their own memory of events because if you are watching the film backwards like as information is being revealed to you like you might not have noticed something that had happened before and he also wanted it to be a subjective experience or as subjective as possible so i said that the movie is non-linear yeah he takes issue with that because it is linear it's just backwards you take the movie like probably the most popular one is like Pulp Fiction where mm -hmm. the movie is completely out of order. Yeah. Like it's just all over the place. Whereas like Memento, it is a linear story. It's just pulled backwards. So like he doesn't like the term uh, non-linear for the movie because it's, I, I would disagree with that. Um, well, like with the black and white segments, it's the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as we should say, like it's, it's the ending of the movie, but we're watching the, it at the beginning. So like, that's the problem I have with that statement is if those black and white segments didn't happen throughout the movie, then I would agree with him. But because it's like the movie's backwards and then we keep well, cutting to like the beginning well, of the there's movie. There's that and also the fact that the way the movie is told, you know, it's told, think about it in letters of the alphabet. So it goes B, A, D, C, F-E, it's not even like just strictly backwards. It's like they took two parts of it and just kind of lifted up one half the alphabet. And the other half, I, I've been totally way too visual with this. And then just slid them over one lever and put them back together. I, I mean, think you're saying what I just said. But you like, can yeah. probably, Because <laughs> yeah. as I said, like the, the, the black and white section is the beginning of the movie. Right. Once once the movie is almost over, we, we cut to the black and white and then we see it turn to color so then it, you know, we make that connection like, oh, it's the beginning. And that's the thing, like there'll be a couple scenes or like a scene backwards, you know, from the end to the beginning. And then remember Sammy Jenkins is what I'm going to call yeah. the black because it's like this story. And, and so that's the thing. It's like you keep cutting back to the beginning. So I, I would say it is nonlinear. 
if if he didn't do that and the whole thing was just backwards, then I would agree with that statement. Yeah, that, that's the, the it's thing. just it's just linear in the other direction. But I, I I will say it doesn't like detract from anything because it this is a fun story. So I actually had a friend who made a short film and he was really into Memento and his film was a mix of Memento and the movie 300. So the whole thing okay. was shot on a green screen and it had like weird colors and it was very visually striking. But so in the many different edits of his film, at one point it wasn't working and we were like, well, have you tried putting it in linear, like from beginning to end? And so just to see if it would work better, he edited it that way. But because he wrote it backwards, it didn't work. Like it didn't <laughs> flow. So I guess that's a kind of a different, I have never watched Memento in order because I feel like you learn everything and then you just sort of like know everything going forward. I feel like it would be really frustrating to watch in order because as I said, you know everything and then Leonard just keeps acting like an well, idiot and you're like, what's well, up? Well, here's the thing. I actually think that would be interesting to watch in order because I don't know if you, there was a show back in the day which will probably offend anybody who's over the age of 30 that I said that called Columbo and it was a detective show and the hook of it was you would know who the criminal was and what had happened within the first you know, 10 minutes of the show and basically the whole you know hook for the show was you could just see how Columbo figures it out which it was a lot more interesting than it sounds so I, I think it could have worked that way Columbo's a great show, but I think the reason it might not work that way is because Leonard is the bad guy, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, and, and the other thing is he never learns. He's He does at the beginning of the movie, and then he essentially kills his friend before he even kills his friend by just giving himself false information, yeah. which also makes him kind of a bad person. <laughs> uh, so it's that's what I mean. I don't think it would be confusing to watch in order, but I feel like it would be frustrating, especially if it was like your first time or something because you know everything and then you're just watching Leonard screw it up like well, over I mean, and over I mean, that's, and then that's also why there's that running joke on at least an American Dad that oh, I was yes. telling you about where it's like have you seen Memento? It's not as good the second time. Your American Dad joke is like Leonard talking about Sammy Jenkins. Yeah. You tell it every time I see you and it gets better every time. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, stop. Have stop I told me. you the American Dad joke? <laughs> Leonard, you tell everyone For the American, American Dad, Dad joke. <laughs> well, no, but um, the, the thing that I think really works about the whole backwards angle is that it's really rewatchable. And that's something that you don't get all the time with movies. There's all sorts of ways you can make a movie rewatchable. But the thing about Memento is like, even when you know how it ends, like it's kind of cool to go back to the scenes and remembering how they're supposed to fit together. And fun facts, by the way, Syncopy hadn't happened until I think like Batman. So like his production company didn't exist. But yeah. the thing that I think is really cool about their logo and I think is really emblematic of the way he writes his movies is that it's a maze. All of his movies are, I, I used to call them, and I still kind of think they are, I think he's backed off on it a little bit, but I always called them puzzle movies. Even his Batman movies, there's always some sort of, not a twist, but you have to use your brain to some extent to kind of figure out some sort of like little hidden thing he has in there. Yeah. And that makes them a lot more engaging than your average blockbuster. And that's something I've always, like the thing I really like about Nolan is that he's one of the few directors nowadays that makes original movies like besides his batman trilogy he comes up with new ideas and i feel like that's just invaluable these days and it's one of the reasons i'm really excited for tenet coming up because it's not it's based on fresh. Some, yeah it's it's fresh and the other reason i like him is because unlike a lot of big actiony blockbusters you have to think about things like back when inception came out i people were saying like oh it's so overly complicated and i was like 
are you not paying attention? Like, it's a little convoluted, the whole dream within a dream thing is, but I just was like, I hate to say it, I was like, do people not, like, think anymore? <laughs> like, is it is it hard to pay attention? I have thoughts about Inception, but that's for another episode. <laughs> I, have you seen Inception? I didn't even know it. The last time we spoke, the only one that you had seen by Nolan was uh, Interstellar. So have you seen Oh, in the Batman one, I've seen the Batman. Um, I did, I didn't realize what it was until later, so I need to rewatch it again. Also, before we discuss it, <laughs> Make so, sure that my but have you are seen valid. Inception? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't so, know what it was. Oh, okay. that's. Was what, not, wait, you watched a movie and didn't know? Well, my dad does this thing where he just puts on HBO or whatever and just watch it, and I'll be like, what is this? He's like, I don't know. And we'll just watch oh, something. Gotcha. <laughs> that's fun. But yeah, that's the thing I like about him. You actually have to be engaged to really get the full experience, and a lot of his movies are rewatchable, but I feel like out of everything he's made, this one is the one that's the most fun to like go back to mm-hmm. because you notice things you didn't notice before. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can really see that. You really go back and you kind of pick oh. up all the little Easter eggs and hints that he dropped. But besides me it's gushing... It's like a Taylor Swift album launch, but a movie. But besides me gushing about it, what were your thoughts? So, this is actually the first movie you've shown me that I wasn't super into. Really? Yeah, and it, again, it had nothing... It was not because it was a bad movie. Again, I'd never seen this movie before, but I... I kind of had a feeling what was going to happen from the beginning. I did not read anything. I did not go to the parents' guide, I promise you. Just, there was something about it. I was like, okay, this chick is manipulating him. This other guy I don't think is the bad guy because it'd be too easy to have him killed and the person you know is told backwards. It's, I'm like, it's going to be something with him. That's all. That's, I mean, I figured that out sort of in the beginning, which... Is is or is or is not fair, but um, I honestly I'm I'm surprised because it's hard to really like pick up on things when the movie's backwards. Mm-hmm. But I know what you're talking about. When you see a lot of movies, you you almost get like a sense. You get a sense. I which again, watch it's not some... it's not the movie's fault. No, it's it's fault. it's the thing where like stories kind of become formulaic. But like if you've seen like a hundred film noirs, they're right. all going to start like you're going to be like he's the bad guy. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> Uh, she's like it's and that's the other thing about this this so as it's like a a neo-noir it has all those kind of trappings you've got the detective character who's like monologuing to himself all the time you've got the femme fatale yeah you've got the crooked cop it's funny because it's very i don't classify him as a crooked cop but go on well he's dealing drugs well but he's also i guess if you think about it he's also eliminating other drug dealers so he can sell more drugs well Yes and no. I mean, it's more obvious to catch the bad guy if there's only one of them. By killing them, and then taking their money, and selling their drugs. You know what? It's not a perfect system, okay? <laughs> I just, like, I know maybe I didn't process that in the movie, but, like... Um, uh, it's, uh, like, it, well, it's, it can get confusing, too, well, because, like, it's... There was, there was a point in the movie, and I think it was about at the three-quarter mark, where, you know, at that point, you know, I'd gotten used to the jumping around in the time frame. Um, I'd gotten used to the monologues popping in. And it was weird. It was like, I almost just, like, I, since I kind of sort of knew where it was going, the fact that it was still jumping back and forth got extremely irritating for me. I'm like, oh, my God, I know where this is going. Stop. It's it's definitely, you Which, could, you can. Again, t- that's also a personal thing. It's not because maybe well, it's Well, you can, so I, even as a fan, like, you can tell this, like, Chris has gotten better as a filmmaker. Yeah. Because... There's, like, things, too, like, where it'll cut back to him tattooing himself for, like, 30 seconds and then go... And it's, like, what was the point of yeah, that? Yeah, what was the point of that? Like, I didn't need to, like... Also, like, what are you doing? Like Leonard it, whines way too much in this whole movie. 
Oh, you know, like... And I know you said earlier, it's, it looks like your American dad joke. You tell everybody about this. I'm like, oh my God. Well, every, every, if I have to hear you say, I have a condition, one more time, it's the same reason my dad uses to get all the pillows every time we go to a hotel. I have a condition. Everyone what? knows by now, if you guys are long-time listeners, that I like to come up with games. I wanted to come up with one for this movie, but it's too hard. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, oh, maybe someone else has come up with one that we can play and, like, tally up. There is a memento drinking oh game. Oh my god, that would be fun. Oh no, it'll kill you. <laughs> it probably it'll, would. Like, I think the first rule is every time he mentions his dead wife, already that's like a hundred shots. You would <laughs> not survive the drinking. If anyone wants to try and play it, we're not liable, but have fun. It's, uh, well, and that's the, whoever came up with this drinking game actually created three modes. So there's easy, medium, and like hard. Basically, and the hard, hard, hard is basically your dad. I think easy was like three rules. It was like whenever he mentions his dead, or whenever he talks about Sammy Jenkins, mm-hmm. whenever he writes something down, and like you can look it up. But it, it, I almost thought, oh, drinking game would be fun. The reason I didn't was A, I didn't want us to die, and B, this was your first time seeing this movie, and I feel like if you got drunk, you wouldn't remember most of it. Ha ha. <laughs> I mean, you know, very meta for the movie. What did you think of the Sammy Jenkins story? So, I think that's kind of one of the better. Uh, here's like, my thing. It's almost better than the whole movie because it, it's very. I really sad. like. I re- that that's like the only part that really sort of caught me off guard was that he that. He's an actual character that sense, but he was what he supposedly did or didn't do or forgot was superimposed onto whatever Lenny did to help him deal with it. So I have a couple problems with that. One is he has very little understanding of the difference between an instinct and a memory. For example, in the movie, the way they present his condition, he should not be able to have the forethought to take pictures and carry his camera out. In the movie, they claim that's because of instinct, because he does it so many times. However, that's not exactly how psychology works. Instinct is something that cannot be learned. It's something that basically, for lack of a better term, it's in genetics. It's, it's, it's like you learn to come in out of the rain because you, your, all your ancestors and stuff have learned, oh, okay, I don't want to stand out in the rain. It's stuff like that that's an instinct. What he's referring to when he talks about, like, for example, giving her her insulin, that's referring to muscle memory. That's one of the reasons why people who forget who they are can still sign their own name, because it's muscle memory. So that kind of really, that really sort of, I mean, I could just be like, oh my God, shut up, you're splitting hairs. Well, that kind of bugged me is that, is that for a movie that, that relies so heavily on the psychology of the brain, which it does, it didn't get, you know, the basic sort of facts correct. And I understand at least why they didn't have to. Because well, if you're talking t- about conditioning, you're talking about Pavlov's dog. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, you ring a bell and the dog, that's not survival. Like, the dog is salivating because it's been conditioned to hear the bell. Well, yeah, but... So that's it, what he's talking it, about. But, but anyway, like, he actually, he did do uh, research, but the thing is, like, this is a problem with any movie based on a real condition or something. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to make up some that, BS and, rules. And that's it's like, because the other movie, fun fact, there's another movie that talks about this condition. It's called Fifty First Dates. Same okay. condition. It's with Adam Sandler, right? Yeah. yeah but okay. it's, so it's Drew Barrymore. She can't make new memories. So every day he has to reintroduce himself. That's actually her. adorable. But that's, it's the same condition. But again, it's like, it's very silly. Like that's not, is it I, the fun thing about 50 first dates is it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So it's probably closer to how the condition actually works. Got it. But it's also 
ridiculous because that's not how the true story played out yeah. either. You know, it's like obviously he, you know, someone did fall in love with someone who couldn't remember them every day and yada yada, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't play out exactly the same way as Adam Sandler. And the condition probably doesn't play out the same way Drew Barrymore's did. So, yeah, if my eyes were glazing over, it's because like <laughs> it's this is a movie show, not a psychology show. I, I like, know, I know, but that's just I, I, you know, you. I've told you about that time I argued with my cinematography professor about blood spatter, and he was like, "It balances the scene." I'm like, "It's unrealistic. That's not where blood spatter would even go." For I mean, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure I could find a movie you really like. You pro- you probably could. I mean, even even like Gone with the Wind. I'm sure some historian would be like, that town doesn't look like that, you know? And it's kind of like, does that make the movie worse? Be careful, Jamie. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I guarantee no, 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 no. That, that historian can, like, argue with you about how inaccurate and stupid the movie is. Again, but it's the, like, that's these, not these, the again, point. Are, these are all also personal hang-ups that I have. Yeah, movie. for sure. It's um, just like... There's, um, there's a couple questions that the movie did leave me with at the end. Um, one of them was the uh, his wife. Why did his wife let him kill her because you'd have to ask her but i think he monologues about it the way he monologues about everything but it's like she would rather die than live with and and she was like sure that he would snap out of it because according to him incorrectly it was psychological Uh and not so she thought like if he knows he's doing it over and over again in her mind she's like he knows he's doing this so he wouldn't kill me he's going to snap out of it he never did. So she's doing it in like a desperate ditch effort to like try and snap right. him out of it. And that's the thing too. Like she kind of cried about it in his office about like how I can't, you know, I just see him as Sammy. Like I think it was mostly she didn't expect she was going to die, but I think there was also kind of a thing about not being able to live with him being, you know, so broken and like just, well, but it, it again, it's like, you'd have to ask a fictional character. Yeah. You'd have to ask so, her a fictional character. My other thing, that other question was, I watch a lot and read a lot about serial killers. And what was interesting to me is, one, that no one created, like, the perfect, unsympathetic character ever. Especially at the end where he was like, you know what, I'm okay, you know, trying to chase the satisfaction constantly. But then if you really think about it, that means at some point he's going to get to a point where he's just killing John G's. Well, we for, don't know how long he's been this way. He, yeah, it, it could exactly. have been 10 years. He, like, well, and, and Teddy's been using him for who knows how long, so this so, could at be least like the so 20th far, victim or something. Just from what Teddy said, though, he's been using him to eliminate, the way he talks about it, again, I could have missed something, bad Johnny G's, but without Teddy there as sort of a buffer or a filter almost, he could just start going Teddy on is any also, again, like, again, we could get into semantics, but I'm pretty sure Teddy is not a good person. He, he's not a good person. He, I, he, just, he can I, just point at someone and be like, that's John G. Why did, you know? why did he tell him that he's, his own name was John G.? Well, technically, he's not the one that... The woman was the one who figured out... Well, I guess not, because he got the license plate. It's just funny. He got the license plate he, because he was, after he, was he said, oh, I'm John G. That's almost like a double twist, because you expect that she figured out who Teddy was and just gave him the information to kill him. And then the, the twist is, oh, no, she didn't. He actually gave her the information to get Teddy because she never figured out who Teddy was. But, yes, but like I just found it interesting how, you know, at the end of it... He essentially gives himself permission to become a serial killer, which I'm like, that's quite interesting. 
it's, it's, it's a new take on because usually as far as circles go, you have some kind of childhood trauma or something. This guy's basically just like, I feel great whenever I kill a Johnny G, and I get to do that over and over again because I will never remember it. So I'm just gonna do that. And I was just like, that's a just that's really interesting uh, uh, take on you know the serial killer creation story. It didn't follow that normal thing. So I thought that was at least you know, very fascinating. This new way of really thinking about. As I said, like, Nolan was interested in the way, like, as I said, we know what his backstory was, we know who he used to be, but what he's turned into, and we kind of learn more and more about that as the movie goes on, and by the end, the, you know, reveal is that he's a monster, essentially, and he's, like, blissfully unaware of just how monstrous he is, and he kind of, in his, like, final monologues, he's like, we all tell ourselves lies to, like, you know, we have our own sense of who we are, but we mm-hmm. tell ourselves little lies. Right? Like, so it was, it's interesting. It's and, and I think this is partly because it was a feature film and the short story was a short story, but he's a lot more of a monster. In the short story, it's much more tragic because it's just like, oh, he got the guy, presumably, yeah. but now he'll never know that he did. And mm-hmm. he'll probably be, like, searching. And he, he there's also less of a chance that he's going to kill the wrong person in the short story because, again, he has, like, the face tattooed yeah, on him. yeah. So it's more, he's just going to be searching in vain for this person who's already dead. So it's more like tragic, whereas Lenny is just not redeemable by the end of the story. In the movie, do they ever explicitly say, like, how long it usually takes before he resets his memory? They never say it, and I think it's mostly just for writing convenience, because they need the scene to go on as long as it needs to go on. Yeah, that makes sense. If they said, oh, it's like five minutes, everyone would be like... Uh, Five minutes. Like, I'm like, this dude just woke up after going to bed with this woman. Like, that had to at least be two hours. They were also <laughs> clever about having certain things sort of snap him out. Like, for instance, there's the bit where she closes the car door and he forgets what happened, or she puts the beer stein down and he forgets what happened. So yeah. it almost. Again, I think this is more for the audience's benefit than anything, but it almost seems like kind of sudden sounds would sort of like erase his memory or something. Because yeah. there's a lot of times that yeah. like loud noises like snap him back out of, you know, focusing. What's interesting is, you know, in his monologue at the end, he's saying, you know, I'm choosing this for myself or whatever. But it's it's interesting because his future selves can't really consent to that because they won't remember any of this. So... I, I just thought that was an interesting commentary, which I don't think was the point on consent. You can't make a decision for your future self based on your current self. And that even goes into what I said about how what you used to be versus what you are and yeah. how you tell yourself sort of things to like justify what you're doing now. Because it, right. it's funny, if you think about his old self, what would he think of what he's doing? Yeah. Because it's... It's insane, you know, like, and and it's a shame, like, the situation he is in where the last thing he remembers is his wife dying and stuff. But, like, both the short story and the movie, it really is kind of like, dude, you're delusional. Yeah. Like, you're, like, there's no reason for you, like, again, even if you got the guy, yeah, you wouldn't ever actually See, get your revenge. And so that's why I'm like, if I were to ask somebody, if somebody were to ask you, what is the theme of this movie? I'm like, the theme of this movie is if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, did it actually fall? That's, that's, that's it. And you know, that was weird if you, I, whether or not that was intentional enough to, to take that allegory and essentially make it into a movie. That is interesting. So I, what I've kind of decided is I can, this is a movie I can really appreciate, you know, the writing and the effort. I just really don't like the guy, so I can't bring myself to really enjoy it. Um, I feel But you. again, that's my that, feel. that's my own personal thing. However, 
for somebody's, even just their sophomore piece, this is actually, you know, really great. We've already talked about, there's so many things that are talked about in there, you know, consent, the whole forest thing. It, it was just in memories and how we perceive things. And I'm kind of curious, like, if, if you're interested in watching more Nolan films, I think you might actually like Insomnia a lot. It's a remake of an old Norwegian film, I believe. And we've got Robin Williams playing a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't know. Directed by Chris Nolan, taking place in Alaska where the sun doesn't set. The land of the midnight sun. Exactly. Okay. So that's that was his next one after this. And it was Al Pacino. I blanked at the beginning of this this episode, but I remembered Al Pacino is the detective searching for a serial killer who is I mean, spoiler, but it's the kind of what the movie's known for is the one where Robin Williams is a serial killer. If it were a Friends episode, it would be the one with Robin Williams as a serial killer. Basically, the, the Chris Nolan movie where he worked with Robin Williams playing a serial killer in Alaska. When, if we watch that, then I will make you watch, probably because it was inspired by the documentary Alaska Ice Cold Killers. <laughs> but what, so despite Leonard being a indefensible monster, would you recommend this film? I would recommend it, and if they, if, well, there's a caveat. If they had said, would you watch this thing? No. <laughs> but do you recommend that somebody else watch it? Yes, I would. Because this is one of, this. at least for me, this is one of those movies where it's like, I didn't enjoy it, but I can really appreciate the work that went into it. I can see what they're going for. And, you know, that kind of really is what filmmaking is about. It's tell, it's just telling a story in a way that you think is one of the most interesting ways you can possibly come up with. That's, like, one of, like, the basis of it. You don't have to like it, but you can at least appreciate the work that went, in, that went into it. And obviously I recommend it. If you like neo-noirs, if you like Christopher Nolan and for some reason haven't seen this film, definitely check it out. I also think it's a good teaching tool for upcoming filmmakers on how to write a pretty cut-and-dry story in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And that too. Like If you're just looking for like a mystery that has kind of an interesting twist on it, I also recommend it that way. But everyone listening, do you remember Sammy Jenkins? If oh so, just, uh, <laughs> let us know, let us know in the comments. Or if you agree that it's not as good the second time, listen. <laughs> if you want, you can also comment a silly tattoo for us to get on our body to remember something. Um, I, I will not do that. <laughs> he can do that. You know, I, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do that. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a like. If you'd like to hear more, maybe subscribe, click the bell icon, and we hope to see you in the future. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Wheels on the Rocks is a production of La Prince Laboratories. It is edited by Pat Mars and produced by Alejandro Castillo, with original artwork by Asa Sparza. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us with any movies or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future.